When our Lord was on the cross drinking the full cup of suffering for our sake, some women offered him an narcotic substance to ease his pain. They gave him wine mixed with Smyrna, wine mixed with some narcotic substance, and he refused to drink. He chose to confront his ordeal in its full dimension, in its entire reality. Last week we spoke about the abuse of different narcotics, and among other things we mentioned that narcotics destroy the mind, the willpower, and the sentiment, and this destruction is often irreversible. These substances destroy the body as well. The entire human being is destroyed, soul and body. Such a person becomes useless in this life and property of the demons in the life to come. And a person who abuses drugs also loses his salvation. The Spirit of God tells us, Put to death, therefore, your earthly members. Which members? Passion, lust, evil desire. We are supposed to put these things to death and not have these things put us to death. Put to death, therefore, your earthly members, lust and evil desires, and greed. Greed, by the way, is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. These sins will bring the wrath of God on the entire earth. And now we continue the great work of Athanasius Mytilineus, one of the great teachers of Orthodox thought. He completed these studies in the fall of 1992 for the six, 700 teenagers who attend his weekly classes. He was commenting on the spiritual will of Tobit, and more specifically on the topic of drunkenness. He expanded this topic to include some of the contemporary forms of intoxication, such as hard liquor, smoking, and the use, or the abuse rather, of drugs. As I sit here attempting to interpret his work for the benefit of our English-speaking brothers and sisters, I often stop full of wonder, wondering of God's great mercy for his church, for the remnant. God is preparing his church for the last days. After Father Athanasius, Father Ephraim, Bishop Augustinos, and many others, after they leave this temporal life, their voices will be with us to guide us and strengthen us until Christ comes back. Their voices will never stop speaking on our behalf, even after they depart, and this gives us great courage. At the last cassette program, we stated that drug traffic is encircling our junior and senior high school grounds. In our own country of Greece, children 11 to 12 years of age use cigarettes, and not a few of them begin to experiment with drugs at the tender age of 13 or 14 years. Our children today must be extremely careful and must be very well schooled in these matters. Orthodox young people, be aware it is a matter of salvation. This global drug problem has demonic and anti-Christian dimensions as well. Outside of the specific 
monetary interests of some individuals and countries, all this seems to serve a much wider conspiracy plan. The plan is to paralyze the masses, especially the youth, so these dark powers can take over the government of the earth with ease. It seems that the brainwashing quality of television and the global use of narcotics will serve as the greatest weapons of Antichrist to assist him in his quest to cover the entire globe to become the leader to whom all world governments will answer to. By the way, after the fall of communist Russia and the end of the Cold War, a new term is being used to describe the President of the United States. He's called Planetarchis, or Planet Leader. This would be inconceivable 15 to 20 years ago, but today it's reality. It is very conceivable that one person can call the shots for the entire Earth. We are beginning to experience this, to experience this in our days. The entire world is beginning to look towards the United States for answers and leadership. This is an extraordinary and a great apocalyptic sign to have one nation and one president influence the entire globe. And this is why the president of the United States, President Clinton, is looked upon as a planet ruler by the other countries. We mentioned this many times. As Christians, we are required to stay vigilant and aware of the signs. We must be aware of the signs of the times. And this is the very thing that St. Polycarp taught us. Study the signs of the times in great detail and keep expecting the one who is to come again, meaning Christ. The true Christian studies the times. It does not get caught up in phobias and fanaticisms, as some people often do when their curiosity about prophecy turns into obsession. And we continue now with, the, with verse 16 of the fourth chapter of Tobit. Give of your bread to the hungry and of your clothing to the naked. Give all your surplus to charity and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. This subject of almsgiving is so dear to the heart of Tobit that he feels that he has to emphasize it and impress it upon his son over and over again. As you remember, we cover this subject extensively, being that verse 7 of this chapter deals with this very matter. So we will go to verse 17, which reads, Place your bread on the grave of the righteous, but give none to sinners. The Greek text says, Throw your bread on the grave of the righteous, and don't give it to the sinners. This is a nebulous verse. It is not a clear verse, and this is precisely why there are several different interpretations. There are four different interpretations, and we will take two of them, and by combining these, we will try to understand the, many, the meaning of this unclear verse. One of the interpretations says, it is better to spend your money to honor pious people with lavish funerals than to spend it with sinful company. Another interpretation says, 
do not accept invitation to dinners honoring the memory of people who lived a sinful and impious life because by doing so you show that you approve their way of life. We will analyze this verse based on these interpretations to gain a better understanding of it. Again, as you remember, we touched on the topic of death at the beginning of the study program when Tobit told his son, when I die, bury me and do not neglect your mother. And when she dies, bury her next to me. We offer some thoughts about death, burial, funerals, and so on. And we will not repeat the same things, but we will touch on death from a different angle. This is not a very pleasant subject for many people, but we have to be realistic. Death is something very close to all of us, something very common. We are touched by it quite often, and we need to get used to the idea from a very young age. Some people try to distance the small children to shield them from the experience of death. When a mother dies or uh, when the grandfather dies, they may keep the small children away. I would never want that to keep me away, to take away the opportunity to see my father or my mother for the last time. This would be a grievance of mine. Why distance the children so they don't experience this, so they may not cry? But this is part of life. Crying is part of life. Let the children go to nursing homes and hospitals. This will help them see things in a different light. There's a great activity for our young Goyans during the holidays, especially during Christmas, to go and visit all the nursing homes and sing the Kalanda or Christmas carols for the elderly. This will give them more joy than they could possibly imagine. Adopt a grandmother or a yaya or a papu. Send them a letter and you'll see how the emptiness of your soul will go away, your boredom will vanish. Visit a cancer patient. Give them courage. Talk to them. Learn to be accustomed to these realities of life. Do not avoid these seemingly unpleasant experiences. They will prepare you to become a mature person. We often hear of people refusing to visit terminally ill people. Uh, let's say a, a person with cancer or a chemotherapy patient. They can deal with it. So you can deal with it. What would happen if the tables were turned? And everyone thought like you did. Not a very pleasant thought, is it? My friends, we need to grow up. The people in the world spend year after year to learn how to live. Well, we must also learn how to die. And if you think about it, we could possibly be dead a much longer period of time than alive. So we must be in tune with this most common subject, the most common and yet the most unnatural subject. That's correct, the most unnatural. Why? Because death was not created by God. Many times we hear at funerals, very often we hear this, well, what can we do? It was time for him to go. It was God's will. God made it this way. What else can we do? Not so. 
God did not create death. We read this very thing in the wisdom of Solomon, chapter 113. God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living, for he created all things that they might exist. In the second chapter of Wisdom of Solomon, 2.23, we read, For God created man for incorruption and made him in the image of his own eternity. But to the devil's envy, death entered the world. The devil heard, For in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall die. So the devil, full of envy, leads the crown of God's creation to death. So the devil set out to kill Adam and Eve, and he did so by deception. The devil was fit to be tied when he saw that his plan backfired. Not only Adam and Eve did not die, but they began to multiply, and they became four. Well, they did not die biologically until many centuries later but spiritually they had died. They died instantly when they tasted the fruit. The devil was not content with this spiritual death. He also wanted them to die biologically. He wanted them to die right then and there. So the devil attempted once again to negate God's plan, so he convinced Cain to kill Abel. And the devil continues to be behind every murder, every revolution, and every war today. The devil introduced death in this world. So death is not a natural phenomenon, and God creates all that is natural. Anything that goes against nature is never God's work. We must understand this very well. Many of our Christians today, especially Christians of the West, they consider death as a mere biological occurrence, an unavoidable natural phenomenon. And at times they go as far as to embellish it. They cope with this sort of embellishment. If you can't beat it, join a type of attitude. Again, this is not necessary or orthodox. We should not get to this point because death is not a permanent element, nor is it a law of nature. Death is the last enemy. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians on this issue in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15.25, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be put out of order is death. Death will be put out of order by the resurrection of the dead. Death will be no more after the resurrection. Christ destroyed and defeated death by his death and his holy resurrection. Our most beautiful hymn of the resurrection, Christos Anesti, proclaims all this truth time after time again. He trampled upon death by his own death. Thanato thanaton patisas. Death still exists, but in a state of great defeat. His sting has been destroyed. Death and Hades will be eliminated totally at the end of history. So the Christian is not afraid of death and looks at death 
was a temporary circumstance, but he never allows a friendly outlook towards death. The Christian knows that death is the enemy. It is necessary to grasp this aspect of death. Death is our enemy, but we will not be afraid of it for the reasons that we stated. We will grieve and mourn when we're faced with death, but we will not be overtaken by depression. The wisdom of Sirach helps us to deal properly when faced with death. We will read some verses from the 38th chapter of Wisdom of Sirach. My son, let your tears fall for the dead. Your mother, father, relative, friend, schoolmate, let your tears fall, because you will never see this person on the earth again. Lay out his body with honor, do him, and do not neglect his burial. If this person is very close to you, and you are put in charge of these preparations, you must do so with great care. Observe the mourning according to his merit. Your mourning will be different for your father and different for your neighbor. Mourn for a day or two to avoid criticism, then be comforted putting an end to your sorrow. The same book in the 22nd chapter says something very significant, and we need to share this with people, especially parents, who cannot be comforted when they happen to lose a child. They stop going to church, they refuse any kind of comfort, or they avoid social, gathering, social gatherings for many years, thinking that this behavior will show their love for their departed loved one. This is all the work of the devil to keep people out of the church, away from people, and to get them into a state of depression, which will eventually kill them. This is a great verse to share with people that behave like this. Mourning for the dead lasts seven days, but for a fool or an ungodly man, it lasts all his life. The strong Christian, the man of God, will mourn for the dead seven days. But a foolish woman or man with no faith will never recover. They will continue to mourn their child for a lifetime. Some parents will mourn to the point where they will lose their mind. Mothers will die after the loss of children, and some fathers are often institutionalized. We read about these situations in... Wisdom of Sirach, in the 38th chapter of Wisdom of Sirach, and we start from verse 18. For sorrow results in death, and sorrow of heart saps one's strength. Do not give your heart to sorrow. Drive it away, remembering the end of life. Remember that your life will come to an end as well. We will all die someday. Do not forget there is no coming back. You do the dead no good, and you injure yourself in the process. So referring to the verse of Tobit, it is better to spend your money to bury pious people than to spend it in sinful parties. Here we must mention that a dignified funeral, a proper burial, honors the image of God which is in, in every man. We light candles and we use incense. We incense the deceased because he is 
made in the image of God. The image of God is in the body and the soul. The entire man is made in the image of God. We all remember how much Joseph of Arimathea's, the senator, how much care he showed for our Lord's body. These men had such a great blessing. Joseph of Arimathea and Saint Nicodemus who participated in the proper burial of our Lord's body. Tobit used to provide proper burial for his countrymen who were murdered and thrown outside of the walls of Nineveh to feed the animals. Burial was forbidden for the Jews. The Assyrians were very cruel conquerors. Tobit ignored their threats and buried his dead countrymen during the night. In Ecclesiastes, we read, It is better to enter a house where there is mourning, to visit a house that someone just died in, than to enter a house of wine, a place where you will drink and you get heavily involved with alcohol. Because in the face of death, you will be made to think to come close to the reality and memory of death. This is not of small profit for our soul. When we enter a bar or a nightclub, most likely we will gain nothing spiritually and we stand to be harmed. Ecclesiastes continues, the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, and the heart of the fools is in the house of different delights and pleasures. The wise will visit people to mourn and sympathize with them. This is a great expression of respect and love of community. This is also a great opportunity to introduce someone to the gospel. Death often softens people. Death is the great philosopher. Many people start to repent after the loss of a loved one, and after this happens, they usually become closer to God. After the funeral, the family may have a makaria or a luncheon in the memory of the deceased. By the way, this is not a commandment of God. It is not mandatory. If you would like to do this, that's fine. But if you don't want to do it, that's okay too. It is not a religious negligence if you don't have this makaria luncheon. The important thing is to bring a prosperon to the church with the name of the deceased to have him or her commemorated in a divine liturgy. We also have the Trisayon prayers or the Mnemosynon prayers of the church for the dead. And these are extremely important. They will truly help the soul of the departed. Many people will spend a fortune on a Makaria dinner while neglecting their other responsibilities toward the dead, such as Prosperon for divine liturgy and Trisayon services. There's a very bad practice in Greece, and this is recently, where relatives will use the money that they would need for a mnemosynon memorial service, goliva candles, flower arrangements, they will use these funds for charity in lieu of mnemosynon, in lieu of floral arrangements, yes, but never in lieu of memorial services. The memorial service, the mnemosynon service, is a very basic element of our faith where the entire church prays to God to forgive and show mercy on the soul of the deceased. 
Again, when we are invited at the Macaria or memorial dinner, we will use discretion and some seriousness. The atmosphere is very proper to open some profitable discussion, not about the estate or the insurance policies of the deceased, but the resurrection of the dead and the life to come, about the resurrection of the body and the Lord's second coming and the beauty of our faith. Now, Tobit says, do not attend the memorial dinner of the impious and ungodly person. We will not stay at these dinners where the deceased lived an impious and unchristian life. Our presence will somehow show that we approve their lifestyle. However, we must mention that when someone shares and takes an active part in his neighbor's grief or mourning, this shows a true sense of community. And we read now the 11th chapter of Tobit. After this, Tobias went on his way, praising God because he had made his journey a success. And he blessed Ragel and his wife Edna. So he continued on his way until they came near to Nineveh. Then Raphael said to Tobias, Are you not aware, brother, of, of how you left your father? Let us run ahead of your wife and prepare the house and take the gall of the fish with you. So they went their way, and the dog went along behind them. Now, now Anna sat looking intently down the road for her son, and she caught sight of him coming and said to his father, Behold, your son is coming, and so is the man who went with him. Rafa said, I know, Tobias, that your father will open his eyes. You therefore must anoint his eyes with the gall, and when they, when they smart, he will rub them, and will cause the white films to fall away, and he will see you. Then Anna ran to meet them and embraced her son and said to him, I have seen you, my child. Now I'm ready to die. And they both wept. Tobit started toward the door and stumbled. But his son ran to him and took hold of his father, and he sprinkled the gall upon his father's eyes, saying, Be of good cheer, father. And when his eyes began to smart, he rubbed them, and the white film scaled off from the corners of his eyes. Then he saw his son and embraced him, and he wept and said, Blessed art thou, O God, and blessed is thy name forever, and blessed are all thy holy angels. For thou hast afflicted me, but thou hast had mercy upon me. Here I see my son Tobias, and his son went in rejoicing. And he reported to his father the great things that had happened to him in media. Then Tobit went out to meet his daughter-in-law at the gate of Nineveh, rejoicing and praising God. Those who saw him as he went were amazed because he could see. And Tobit gave thanks before them that God had been merciful to him. When Tobit came near to Sarah, his daughter-in-law, he blessed her, saying, Welcome, daughter. Blessed is God who has brought you to us and blessed are your father and your mother. So there was rejoicing among all his brethren in Nineveh. Ahikar and his nephew Nadab came, and Tobias' marriage was celebrated for seven days with great festivity. Tobit then called his son Tobias and said to him, My son, see to the wages of the man who went with you. And he must also be given more. He replied, Father, 
it would do me no harm to give him half of what I have brought back, for he has led me back to you safely. He cured my wife, he obtained the money for me, and he also healed you. The old man said, He deserves it. So he called the angel and said to him, Take half of all that you two have brought back. Then the angel called the two of them privately and said to them, Praise God and give thanks to him. Exalt him and give thanks to him in the presence of all the living for what he has done for you. It is good to praise God and to exalt his name worthily declaring the works of God. Do not be slow to give thanks to him. It is good to guard the secret of a king, but gloriously to reveal the works of God. Do good and evil will not overtake you. Prayer is good when accompanied by fasting, almsgiving, and righteousness. A little with righteousness is better than much with wrongdoing. It is better to give alms than to treasure up gold, for almsgiving delivers from death and it will purge away every sin. Those who perform deeds of charity and of righteousness will have fullness of life, but those who commit sin are the enemies of their own lives.